I was telling your wife, Pastor Joe, I was telling your wife that I wanted to see maybe about you putting some people into office. Right? She said, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. She said, we got a game plan. And so she said, I got an announcement to make. I'm going to make it. And so she announces the Bible school. But what's happening is he's preparing you to, to build up leaders because it has to happen. A true leader pushes out leaders, and leaders take position. And Juan was just a remnant. He was just a, a small piece of an example of what's going to come to pass out of Metro Paris International. Kingdom. 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 Your birthing kingdom. God has given you a spirit of a father, but a spirit of a leader. You whip and you snatch, but you do it with love. It's genuine. You care about these people's souls. You're not trying to just lead your leadership over them, but you're making men. You're stepping in where fathers have not, and the father's using you to set an example and a standard. And it's bigger than this. It's even bigger than the six children. This is a legacy. This is a legacy coming to pass. Because you guys are birthing kingdom and you didn't even know it. And you got tested. You remember. And a lot of leaders left this church. And it was hard. A lot of death threats. Their children were in danger. But you stood your ground. And the fathers counted you worthy. By faith. Great is your faithfulness. But the Bible says that your faith is counted as righteousness unto God. Your faith is counted as righteousness unto God. Your faith in him, obviously. Father God, I thank you right now that this portion of faith and loyalty that this pastor has held for this church, the reality is you're going to be as your leader is. You're going to be what your leader is. The spirit of your leader is going to fall upon you whether you like it or not. That's why it's so important to yoke yourself to proper leadership. Because it could either bring your calling to life or it could burn it to the ground. Father, I thank you right now that what he's done, greater y'all will do. Greater y'all will do. Greater y'all will do. Don't aspire to walk in his footsteps, but walk even better. Make his journey worth something. Step into the mantle of kingdom. Take over. Dominate. This is an alpha. I declare alphas in this church. From the children up. From the children up. I'm declaring everything you do will not be just to pay your bills, but it will be to further the kingdom of God. Your business will be to fund the kingdom. Your apartment builders will be the house of the church. Christians will be under your mantle. We will build a team within one another, taking territory, dominating. It's coming to pass. It has to. It has to. What has happened is we've been stripped of the right and we've been stripped of the left. And the last man standing will be the man of God. Politics is relevant. But this is bigger than politics. They got Kate, uh, Bruce Jenner at CPAC. We ain't going there. We ain't doing that. Holiness or hell. 
holiness or hell. But in that, I thank you, Jesus. And I'm speaking life into you. I'm speaking life into you. Those who receive it according to your faith, it will be counted as righteousness and manifested in the Lord. In him. Obviously in him. It's coming, you guys. The Lord is going to find what he's called you to do. You're going to pray and you're going to get. But not because you pray in a miss. Because you pray according to his word. He said you have not because you ask not. But when you ask, you ask according to Lord, bless me, bless me, bless me. This is bigger than this. Y'all look at our country. We, we could look at it and say, dang, there's a lot bad. There's so much bad going on. Or we can pull up our sleeves and we can say, okay, Lord, we got some work to do. But I got heaven back in me. It's that time. In Jesus' name, I speak that. This is, this is it. Every time in our ministry, even before we really launched, we connected with you. And through all the different churches, through all the different people, through all the different experiences we've had, it's always led back here. It's always led back here. You've been brother. I mean, you don't, we're going to have some arguments. Me and him got into it. And her. He kicked us out one time. Y'all don't even know that. He kicked us out. <laughs> yes, you did. Yes, you did. He kicked us out. But then he called us right back. But through all of that, <laughs> we stood our ground with each other. We stood our ground. And we realized we're brothers and sisters in Christ and we're called to run this race together. And it's not just us, all of you. We can't do this without you. So in Jesus' name, so be it. Wow, my Lord. Uh, three, four weeks ago, we went to Kenya. This was a life-changing experience, and we observed one thing, where poverty was abounding, where fatherlessness and motherlessness was abounding. We received so much hope because we met a man with a ministry, and we knew Kenya is going to be okay. I want to declare that Chicago is going to be okay. And the reason why it's going to be okay is because there is a church who is actual, actual church, not a building, but the ecclesia, a group of disciples that have been transformed and filled with Holy Spirit with a clear agenda. Nothing is wasted. They know where they're going. They know where they come from. And now we're hearing a school is starting. Yes. We wanted you to tackle the political realm because we believe that people of God need to call out laws and remove the laws that are not of God and bring forth laws that are of God. But now that you're starting this school, it's even better. <laughs> because now you're going to have people that are going to be equipped to go there, but also equipped to go into entertainment and education and business and just wreck Chicago for the kingdom of God. Did I hear Dallas? Did I hear Miami? This is very exciting because now we won't have to worry about Dallas and we won't have to worry about Florida and I wonder what other states we won't have to worry about. So Lord, in the name of Jesus, 
You already know what blessed our socks off was to see people in line getting food, but not just natural food. They were hearing the word being preached and also the counseling, a one-on-one -on -one counseling. Everything that At The Well Ministries has been about was implemented this morning in just one outreach. Just one outreach. So you, we're yoked. We're yoked. And we're excited to see what the Lord is going to do next. Amen? And one last thing. One last thing. Y'all prepare yourselves. Pastor Joe is about to get respectfully disrespectful. I'm telling y'all, I'm telling you, he about to pull some cards. But y'all ready for this? Y'all know what's up. Really, this is for the people watching on live. Y'all on live, you trolls, all of y'all. It's, it's about to be respectfully disrespectful in here. So just get your popcorn and get ready. It's gonna be fun. Amen. Amen. Let's give it up for Bevy and Edme again. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. I'm going to call up my reader, Jordan McLeod, evangelist Jordan McLeod. Give it up for Jordan as he comes. Amen. We are going to hit it and get with it through the word of God. I got a reader because we are going to blow it up and put it back together in Jesus' name. I did not kick you guys out. I just set up some plane flights a little bit early. You know, anyways, that's an inside joke between us. Go to our website, mpichurch.org, or to the app, and look for Jesus is God if you want all the notes that I have here for you. What we're going to do is we are first going to play this video, this montage that Sister Bevy gave me to put things in order about people sneaking in. Somebody say sneaky snakes. It's little sneaky snakes trying to come into the midst of the body of believers and using conservatism as a way of agreement, but then dissing our Jesus. I want to be very clear with you. If Jesus is not God, you got the wrong Jesus. If Jesus is just your prophet, you got the wrong Jesus. If Jesus didn't die, raise again on the third day physically and ascend to heaven, you got the wrong Jesus. If Jesus is the brother of Satan, you got the wrong Jesus. So every Mormon, every Jehovah Witness, every Oneness, everybody out there that messes with our Jesus, you started some stuff, so there's going to be stuff. Amen. So we're going to finish it. Brandon, Tatum, this other guy, Bryson, I challenge them all to public debates. I'll do it here for you, just for your learning and for your enjoyment. But what we're going to do right now in our own teaching ceremony, in our own opportunity here, is use them as the basically the village idiot, the town fool. And I say this because they've been corrected and they don't want to take it. And then they go on their live feeds and they take advantage of you wanting to support them because of their conservatism, but then they diss Jesus. And then when we get online with them, they get all nervous and they run from us. There is a debate between my friend Anthony Rogers and uh, Brandon Tatum, and he smoked them. It wasn't even close. But just to bury the, the Pharisee, the heresy even more, and the Pharisee as well, we're going to do it here line upon line. Amen. So this is what I want to do by God's grace. I want to make sure you hear it all at once. If you're taking notes and you want to have fun, pretend you were in my position as a debater having to come up next and respond to them. If you were just going to make your bullet points, see how many objections you would come up with to get back on the mic and set the record straight. Because we do believe that God still has a plan for their salvation. We do believe, like Mr. T said, it's good to pity the fool. Amen? And we want the fool to come back to Christ. 
come back. Because some of them say they were raised in Christianity. Come back. Whoever lied to you and deceived you, they did not help you. They just made you dumber, okay? The stupid is as stupid does. And it's been around. All of these heresies you're going to hear have been around forever and a day. And they have literally been slapped out the church. If you learn about how St. Nicholas or Nick, the, the, the patron saint who upheld our Trinitarian doctrine, he slapped an Arian in a church council. Now, I wouldn't say we'd want to do that in a debate, but it has been slapped out of the church. These doctrines have been slapped out, and it's not just majority wins, because honestly, if you're here today, and sometimes you're on the fence about the Trinity or things like that, I want you to see in the Scripture where does it line up, because we don't have to make it up. And for those who just want to broad brush it and say, oh, you got that from Catholics, you got that from someone else, no, we get it from the Scriptures, amen? So get into the Scriptures, and you'll get the true doctrine. So go ahead and play this, brother. Take bullet points. See how many objections you can see them raising and what you would say back. Go ahead. Why they call him the second Adam. That's why they said he's the second man. One, the man from heaven. They didn't say the God from heaven. Why did they say God from heaven? If you look at it in the Greek, this is how it reads. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was a God. Now, most people understand that it's not going to read a God, right? It wouldn't be weird for a person to think that Jesus or you or I are considered a God. In the Bible, it says that we are all gods. I'll show you that, that we are all gods. We are not the God, but we are gods. No. He tricked them the whole time. He telling them to pray to the Father in heaven. But he got the whole time. He's telling them to pray to the Father in heaven. Technically, he don't want to answer their prayers. Technically, Jesus' death on the cross had nothing to do with being God or not. It had everything to do with God resurrecting him from the dead. So whether you believe you're God or not, it is irrelevant to the cross because it was God that resurrected Jesus. It wasn't his own power. Jesus couldn't even resurrect himself. And the thing is, the co-equal view of the Trinity, of the Trinity is what I can't, because if what it really is, and Jesus tells us this, is it's a hierarchy. It's because Jesus didn't come to do the will of his own, but of the one that sent him. Mm -hmm. Jesus didn't, Jesus don't have authority himself. The authority was given to him. One, Jesus uh, just says, I and my father are one. So what, is, what does that verse mean to you? Well, the Father is in him, and he is in the Father. And um, the reason why, and this is a verse a lot of white Pentecostals use. And uh, if you go down, if you, if you just keep reading, you go to John's. If I'm not verse hopping. Just, just let me, let me, let me go through, and you go see, understand. If you, if you look at uh, John 17, like 20 through 25, he used the same thing. He said, "As you can be one in us, as we are one." So he also says, "We are one with them." So are we a part of the Trinity? Are humans, are Christians a part of the Trinity? No, and we wouldn't say okay. that we're one with the Father either. So the word was with God, and the word was God. Mm -hmm. And people get these two, these two things, the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. The word was with God, and the word was God. Mm -hmm. And people say that's clear evidence that Jesus is God. Mm -hmm. I believe Jesus was there, but God is the Father. Because Jesus says that multiple, matter of fact, I don't think there's any moment in the Bible where Jesus words himself calls himself God. Every time he talks about God, he refers to the Father, every single verse. So the Bible, if the Bible doesn't contradict itself, then who's wrong and who's right? 
Well, you definitely this, wrong. This is where I get to the point where you definitely wrong. It's a mystery because we genuinely don't know. Yeah, you punt to mystery because you're scared. Okay, everybody say liar, liar, pants on fire. Okay, I got it from this point on, brothers. How many objections did you hear? A million. I counted eight. And just to give you the quick rundown, because we'll see how much time I can get into, I hope to hit on every one of these eight, but the notes have all of the eight. When he said, why is Jesus called a man from heaven in 1 Corinthians 15, 48 through 49, and not a God from heaven? It's because Paul's point in the passage is not Jesus' divinity, but his human nature, and how by taking on flesh, we get his flesh at the resurrection. We become resurrected in the image of God, not God's ourselves. That's why he's focusing on the humanity of Christ, because we got sin from Adam. In the second Adam, we get righteousness. So just read the context, son. You'll get it. And we're going to read you that context up here. Right, Jordan? You're going to read it for him? Amen. Now, the second objection that we hear is that he then brought up John 1, 1, which is the part C at the end. It should read the word or aka Jesus is a God, not the word was God. No, you spiritual nincompoop. That's not how it's supposed to be. You don't even understand Greek. There's a reason why the translations have it as God. It is because that the word theos is in the predicate nominative and modifies the nature of the subject. You would know that if you knew Greek and And if you knew English, but since you know either, we will teach you what it says. We'll teach you. So humble yourself. The third objection is Jesus is a God like how others in the Bible have been called gods. But this doesn't mean that Jesus is Yahweh God, the Lord God, or the Most High God. In John 1, verses 1 through 18, it tells us exactly the kind of God Jesus is. He's the same God as the Father. He's not a false God like Satan or a God like an idol. The Bible says he's God like the Father. Read the context. Then we go into the next objection that we hear. Objection number four, that Jesus was tricking people by telling them to pray to the Father when he really answers their prayers. No, Jesus is not the Father. Have you not understand what, understood what we said? But Jesus works together with the Father and the Holy Spirit to answer our prayers, but he also taught us to pray in his name as well. If you would read the Bible, you would understand the Bible. The next objection is that Jesus couldn't resurrect himself. Wrong. Everybody go, er. Jesus, along with the Father and Spirit, raised himself clearly. He said, destroy this temple, and I'll raise it again in three days. Did you read the Bible? Did you read it? If you read it, you'll understand it. Objection number six is Jesus cannot be God because he was given authority from the Father, and the Trinity has a hierarchy. My friend, Jesus taking on flesh is the reason why the Father must give him everything. Adam was given authority as a man, and thus when Jesus became a man on behalf of humanity, he had to take back what Adam had lost, and that's what the work on the cross does. But it doesn't take away his divinity and equality with the Father. And then here we have another objection that comes up, that Jesus is one with the Father, and then supposedly disciples are one with the Father and Son. So this would mean that humans are in the Trinity. Nowhere, and our brother Roslon said it, nowhere in John chapters 10 or 17 does it say disciples are one with the Father and the Son, as in the Son is with the Father. It says that disciples are one with each other, as the Father and Son are one with each other. Read it properly. And the disciples are in Jesus, and Jesus is in the Father. Get the script straight before you embarrass yourself again. 
And then the last objection, as he punched the ball out of ignorance, that he said Jesus never called himself God. He only calls the Father God. So that means he's not God. Jesus called himself God all the time in the New Testament. We believe he is the word of the Lord coming to the prophets. We believe he's Yahweh who met with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So unless you reject the Old Testament, he calls himself God every time a prophet says, thus says the Lord. And in the New Testament, he uses the divine name of God and calls himself God, and God the Father calls the Son God. This is what he says in Hebrews. The Father says about the Son, Hebrews 1.8, but about the Son, he says, who's speaking, the Father, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. The Father calls him God. He calls himself God in the divine name of I am, and all throughout the Old Testament, he refers to himself as God. Now, because we want to go thoroughly through it and not just hand clap and get, get, get happy, we're going to show you how to apply this to any type of person that comes your way. Amen? In gentleness and kindness, we want to make sure we love and honor people. But like I said, don't start no stuff, won't be no stuff. They started this stuff on their live feeds, acting as if that, and if you could uh, minimize this, please, acting as if Christians don't know any better. Like as if we don't have answers. Taking advantage of the people who are following them, not for their Christianity, but for their conservative worldviews. Uh, take off that slide and treat it separate. Or I think that right there could work as well. Thank you. Everybody say the Trinity. Trinity. Now, if they ask us to show them the word, the Trinity in the Bible, I'm going to say, show me Arianism in the Bible. Show me Sibelianism. Show me all of these other views that you have in the Bible. All these views are, these titles rather, are of views. So the Trinity is a view titled such to express our belief that there is tri-unity. But what they were espousing in these, these uh, two uh, video clips that we were seeing is Arianism, that God the Father creates the Son as a lesser God to use the force of the Holy Spirit. Show me that in the Bible. You won't find it anywhere. So the word is not important, whether it's called the Trinity or whether it's called the triunity, etc. What is important is what is taught. What is taught? And then if we label it something to make it easy so we don't have to go through the doctrine every single time, that word can be helpful. Does everybody understand where that comes from? Now, just go to the scriptures, Matthew chapter 28, right here, Matthew chapter 28. Here's where we can give them one scripture that shows the triune nature of God, starting in verse 18 all the way to chapter uh, uh, chapter um, 28 verses 18 all the way to 20. Brother, it's on the screen. You can go ahead and start reading. Let's make sure his mic is up. Good. How many of you all excited to be here? Amen. Put him up just a little bit. Thank you, man of God. Go ahead and read in verse 18, please. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Come on, somebody say amen to that. Amen. Amen. Does everybody see the Greek word here for name, pneuma, okay? And as you can see, is it singular or plural? What is it? Singular. It doesn't say baptize them in the names. It says baptize them in the singular name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That means the name of Yahweh, the name of God, the God of Israel, is the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
It applies equally to the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now, is the Father the Son? No. Is the Father and the Son the Holy Spirit? No. So we are not trying to say that three persons are one person. We are saying that there are three separate persons. And then we're not saying each person is a God so that three gods equal one God. We are saying there is one God manifesting in three separate eternal persons. That the manifestation as oneness use is not temporary. They think that God goes through modes of manifestations. And the reason why we can still use the word manifestation is put in uh, here now, put in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. I'll show you in the King James because we want to take the word manifest away from the Sibelianists, the oneness Pentecostals. What they mean by manifest is that the Father is sometimes the Father. Other times he shapeshifts to the Son. Other times he shapeshifts to the Spirit. We believe the word manifestation, as the King James says, is an appropriate uh, way of understanding a appear, but they are in eternal relationship, eternal manifestation, eternal personhood. Can I hear somebody say the word eternal? Amen. And so when my ball stops spinning, I'll get it up here for you in the King James. Matter of fact, just start looking on your phone to keep up with us when sometimes this stuff doesn't work. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 in the King James, it will say, God was manifested in the flesh. Come on, look at it here. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, brothers. God was manifested in the flesh. And so when we take on the terms of the Scripture, we can use them and have the same main, the meaning of Trinitarian belief. We don't need to say manifest means that he's shape-shifting. It just simply means that he is appearing in the flesh for us to see. And he has always been appearing as the Son, and the Father has always been appearing as the Father and as the Spirit for eternity. There has never been a time where the Son and the Spirit have not been equal with the Father. As a matter of fact, just think in the natural, and this is the way we're supposed to see it, is examples in the natural. That's why he made man and woman too to become one in flesh. The one there in Hebrew is Ahad, become one, just as it says in Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hero Israel, the Lord thy God is one, Ahad. They think that means one person, but remember, Ahad is used when two persons become one flesh in marriage. Are you listening? Three persons are one in nature. That's an example from spiritual to natural. Are you with me? Family Family is an example of God's tri-unity on earth. Father, meaning to the Father, like how we are. The, 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 the Son representing, or excuse me, the Father, then the, the Holy Spirit representing like the wife. But this doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is feminine. It just means that the Holy Spirit bursts and is there uh, affirming and encouraging. And then the Son, like, the Holy, like Jesus, coming in the flesh is like children. Are you getting what I'm saying? This is an ancient way of understanding the Trinity in the family. That's why homosexuality doesn't work because each person has to be represented differently. Okay, but now watch this. When we get to the scriptures and we say God was manifest in the flesh, that's talking about Jesus. How many know Jesus came in the flesh? The Father didn't. The Spirit didn't. So they have three, uh, they are three persons manifesting eternally in the divine nature and then the Son manifests in the flesh. Get it straight. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Now, when we go to this uh, confusion that this gentleman had about, you know, why doesn't Paul say here in this context that we will raise that why doesn't Paul say here about Jesus, he is God, the God-man, and why isn't he emphasizing his divinity here? Well, as my brother reads it, tell me if this has anything to do with the divinity of Christ, but rather the incarnation of Christ, Christ taking on flesh for our redemption. Just everybody answer this question. 
question very simply. What is the context of this? And then I'm going to show you how to blow it up right back in their face. Are you listening? Because anytime somebody picks a passage, I know for some of us, we just want to go to another passage to disprove them. So he's saying basically here, you know, he's saying, well, why isn't Jesus called a God from heaven? Why is he called a man from heaven? And some of you might be tempted to go, well, let's go to John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1, 14, the Word became flesh. And so you're going to solve that problem there, right? But you see, that just gets you on a Holy Scripture hopscotch. What I want you to do is learn how to stay in one place, lock the doors, and don't let them out until they understand they were wrong in that first context. I want you to say, thank you. You brought me there. Now you're getting a free Bible study on 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and onward. And I'll show you right here how it backfires right on him. Him using this passage actually doesn't teach what he thinks it does, even if he was right about that one point. It actually would contradict him just a little bit later. But thank God the Bible doesn't contradict itself like how they have to. Amen. So just for the sake of understanding, because we actually appreciate context, my brother's now going to read verses 35 to 57. Somebody say, read. read. Amen. Read it, man of God. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just uh, but just a seed perhaps of wheat or of something else, but God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives it his own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, there, there, and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind. And the splendor of the earthly bodies is, is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And the star differs from the star and splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a life, life, uh, a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the natural, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have, have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Amen. And let's just pause there. So you see what he's saying. He's saying, why is he called a man? Why is he called a man? The whole entire point of him being called a man is because you need new flesh, man. That's why he's being called a man. I don't ever become God. I don't ever become that. But I need a born-again nature to transform my human earthly nature that has been corrupted because of Adam. That's why he's emphasizing the heavenly man, the heavenly man, the son of man, Daniel 7. That's why he's not just called uh, the son of God all the time. The emphasis on the son of man is that he bears flesh. The flesh is there for a reason so that we can be redeemed from the sinful flesh we got but keep on going brother just in case they don't get it verse 50 i declare to you brothers and sisters that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of god nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable listen i tell you a mystery we will not 
we we will not all sleep, but we but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the for the perishable must clothe itself clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with Im- immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with the immor- immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Hallelujah. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Every the man. sting of death Amen. is sin, and the come power on. of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the glory through our Lord, uh, Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor uh, in the Lord is not in vain. Come on, somebody say amen. So that's the context. But now, after I've explained the context about how the heavenly man is there for our purpose of being redeemed from the earthly sinful man, guess what happens right here at the end that blows up his entire point? Jesus is called Lord. Now, at this point, you have to make a decision. Is Jesus like a landlord or is Jesus the Lord Yahweh of the Bible? Because if Jesus is a landlord, he, Paul, is now blaspheming by saying us doing the work of a landlord will not be in vain because he is quoting directly from Isaiah chapter 65 verse 23 where Yahweh says the work done in my name will not be taken in vain. So if you are going to say that Jesus is anything less than Yahweh, you have now just made a contradiction because Paul would not contradict himself. So just follow along. I got the notes up here for you. Look at Isaiah chapter 65, 23 and onward. They will not labor in what? In vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord, blessed by Yahweh. They and their descendants with them, before they call, I will answer. While they are speaking, I will hear. So do you think Paul understood that the person that they're working for here, when he makes this quote out of Isaiah and applies it here, is actually Yahweh? Do you think Paul knew that as a Jew? Of course he knew where his quotation came from. It came from Yahweh speaking, saying, you will not work for me in vain. But it even gets better than that when you look at the actual context, starting with the second verse of 1 Corinthians. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, and called to be a holy people together with everyone, everywhere, who calls on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. How many lords are God's people supposed to call on? According to the scripture, Joel chapter 2 verse 32, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Corinthians starts by defining to us who Jesus is as Lord. He is not merely a landlord or a Lord as a master over a property. He is Lord Jehovah Yahweh of Joel, of Isaiah, the one we work for, never in vain, the one we call on and who are saved. So explain to me why Paul's quoting these scriptures, Joel and Isaiah, and attributing them to Jesus if Jesus is not equal to the Father in divinity. When do you get permission to take scriptures attributing a nature or salvation or things to Yahweh and get to apply them to anyone other than Yahweh? Can you, can you attribute the attributes of Yahweh to an angel? That's blasphemy. Can you attribute the attributes of Yahweh to a prophet? 
Come on, somebody. We know who Paul believed and taught Jesus to be. Jesus is Yahweh, as the Father is Yahweh, as the Spirit is Yahweh, but they are not the three persons sharing the same personality. They are sharing the same nature as individual persons. In other words, the Father is not the Son, it's not the Holy Spirit. Does everybody get that? Once again, in just a few verses later, 1 Corinthians 1, 9, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, now we have a problem. If they say Jesus cannot be God because God the Father is called God and Jesus the Son is called Lord, they will say, well, why is Jesus only called Lord and the Father is called God? See, Jesus can't be God. But if that's true, then that means the Father is not Lord because he hardly ever calls the Father Lord. What does he call the Father? He calls him God. What does he normally call the Son? Lord. So if they want to say God cannot apply to the Son, then that means Lord cannot apply to the Father. But we all know that the Father is Lord. Amen? We all know that the Spirit of the Lord is Lord. So now we know clearly the kind of Lord Jesus is. Jesus is Lord like the Father is Lord, but not the same person. That is why even further down in the same chapter, chapter 1, verses 30, he then says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord, speaking about Jesus, right? But in Jeremiah 9, 24, it says, but the one who boasts, let them boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord, so do you think that Paul understood that when he was taking that quote out of Jeremiah and applying it to Jesus, do you think he understood that was Yahweh talking? Unless you want to make Paul contradicting himself so you can say some skin in the game, I would just say repent right now. I would say repent right now. So Paul, just in the first chapter, tells us who the Lord is. He then reiterates it while he's calling him a man because we believe he took on the nature of a man. He believes that Yahweh the Son, God the Son, took on flesh. If you believe it, can I hear an amen? And then now we get into supposedly, this is amazing, that they're going to be Greek scholars even though they don't even speak Greek. They couldn't go to a Greek restaurant, the Kanes. They couldn't order something from the menu. They call it gyro. They don't even know what they're talking about. Gyro, gyro. Come on, somebody. Doxa, doxeo. I mean, my family's Greek. They come from Thessaloniki on my, my wife's side. And then they try to act like they know what they're doing. They don't. But you see, they blow this hot air. What this would remind me of is if you were playing basketball with someone, and as they're losing and getting beat, they say, oh, this, this rim is not regulation. You know, this ball is not regulation. This cord is not regulation. And so now what they want you to do is stop beating them in the game and then pull out a tape measure and now measure. Man, we ain't got time for that. You're wrong. I'll show you right now how you're wrong in the context. So even if you don't know the Greek, we'll show them they're wrong in the context. But thank God that my mentors and others, Daniel Wallace, Craig Keener, uh, Michael Brown, James White, all these others that I love and respect have gotten their degrees. I've taken some Greek, and I've broken it down from you as I was sharing before. It's in the predicate nominative, and there's a reason today why it's always been translated that way. And when the Jehovah Witnesses and others try to be slick and do it, we bring them right back to the Greek grammar, and we show them that they're wrong. And so I have it there for you to study. But somebody say, make it plain. Because I can knock out two of these at the same time in the context. Because as the moment he says, oh, it can be a God, he also then goes on to say, well, you know, by the way, we're called gods. We're called gods. But let me ask you a question. Are we called gods in the sense like Yahweh is called a God? No, not at all. Those are idols who try to call themselves that. But I'll show you how to do it right here from the book of John. Everybody say, help us.
Amen. I'm just here to help and to serve. I got a nice little chart here for you. Everybody look here when you read John. I believe this came from R.C. Sproul. It's a great way to look at it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Okay? He was with God in the beginning. Everybody say in R.K. That means in the beginning in Greek. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made by him and through him. All things have been made that have been made. Nothing has been made without him, okay? Now, follow how I break down John 1, 3 for you. Through him, the word, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And so now you just draw a line and you ask them to figure it out themselves. On this side is the uncreated creator, because that's what they believe in like us. And then over here is everything else being made. That's the created side. Now let's figure out from the context that they think they're so smart to try to use against us. Let's look from the context who John believed Jesus is. Does John believe in John 1-3 that Jesus is an uncreated creator like the way we believe or a created thing like the way they believe? Let's go. Through him the word, how many things were made? How many things? Does it say all other things after he was made? No, it says all things were made. And now it clarifies it. Without him, everybody read this with me. Nothing was made that has been made. Jesus can't be made, baby. He made everything that was made. He's on this side of the uncreated creator. Everything that was made came by him. He's the maker of every single thing. Colossians 1.15 says it the same way. If you break it down like this, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, what? what does it say right here? All things. You see, they like to take firstborn and say that means first created. No, it doesn't. It means preeminence at his resurrection. He is a firstborn from the dead. We'll see how it clarifies it. But just notice it. For in him, how many things? All things were created. Now watch this. While he was made in heaven. No, it says all things in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So this is what I love to do to mess with their heads. I say if Jesus was created, what is he created as, a visible or invisible thing? And then they have to scratch their head and go, well, he was created invisible. Well, the Bible says he created every invisible thing. Oh, well, no, 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 I mean he was visible. Well, the Bible says he created every visible thing. And then you ask him, where was Jesus created? Oh, Jesus was created in heaven. The Bible says he created everything in heaven. Oh, no, no, I mean he started on earth. He started on earth. Well, the Bible says he created everything on earth. And then I ask him, well, when he got created, did he have power and authority? Oh, yeah, he had power and authority. Well, the Bible says he created every throne, power, ruler, and authority. Praise God. How many are learning something today? He is before how many things? All things. And in him, how many things? All things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from among the dead, clarifying the term of the firstborn, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Hallelujah. Come on. He might have supremacy in that God the Father, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Can I get an Amen. So you don't understand John, you don't understand Colossians, you thought you were slick, but now you got busted. Look at your neighbor and say, another one bites the dust. Amen. Amen. Another one bites the dust. 
Yeah. Yeah, we understand that Moses became a god like unto Pharaoh. Yes, we understand that God said to the judges of that time, you are gods to these people. We understand that the word God, Elohim, can be used as judges, someone with authority. But the scripture is very clear when it comes to there only being one God. Look at John 12, 41. Because once again, I want to keep them in that same book. You're locked up. You're not going anywhere now. In John chapter 12, verse 41, it says after uh, there's a quote from Jesus, is quoting Isaiah, John then inserts this for us to understand why Isaiah, or excuse me, why Jesus would quote Isaiah. Isaiah said this because he saw whose glory? Jesus's glory and spoke about him. Hold on, you mean, G- uh, you mean Isaiah saw Jesus's glory? That was hundreds of years before the earthly Jesus, before the incarnation. Well, how was that possible? Look at Isaiah chapter 6 and read this out for us, please. Isaiah chapter 6, 1 through 3. In the year of King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. And two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. So is there two Yahwehs in your world, son? There's only one Yahweh in my world manifested in three persons, and no one has ever seen the Father, but the Son has made him known. He's at the Father's right hand. So who do you think Isaiah saw? John tells you right here who he saw. He saw whose glory? Jesus' Jesus's glory and spoke about him. Come on, somebody. Put in John 1.18 so you can just show him again in John. You want to try to show us some Greek in John. You don't understand the Greek. You're wrong there, and I'll take the context of John by God's grace and bust your behind with it. No one has ever seen God. Well, well, hold on, John. Hold on. Isaiah saw God, and you're about ready to say that he saw God. You're about ready to talk about Abraham seeing God. Hold on, John. Why are you saying these things? Well, keep reading. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. How much more clear could it be? There's not two gods. There's not three gods. There's three persons sharing the name and nature of God. Are you guys understanding? And so they try to trip you up with the Greek. Don't fall for it. Believe today what the scriptures say. Take them through the context one at a time, and you'll be able to see that it's 100% teaching the triunity of God. Once again, in John chapter 8, verses 56 through 59, please read about what Jesus says about him and Abraham hanging out. Not only did he hang out with Isaiah, he hung out with Abraham. Please, sir. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham. Very truly, I, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. There's himself calling. If that's not himself calling God, you don't know the Greek language. What are you playing for then? If you don't understand the ego am I and the Septuagint, the LXX translation of the, of the Old Testament scriptures, you don't know what you're talking about. This is clearly a reference to him calling himself the divine name, the self-existing one. Keep going, please. Verse 59. At this, they picked up stones to, th- uh, to stone him. 
But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Notice that. When they said to him, you're not 50 years old, he's questioning his origins. They are questioning where he comes from. He says, before Abraham was born, I am. That is the name that God revealed himself to, to Moses. And then the name Yahweh, Yohevah, also known as the Tetragrammaton, is the noun that came from the verb of the self-existence. One, We now see, see clearly Jesus is calling himself God, unless you don't think God saying he's Yahweh is calling himself God. I mean, come on, when, when, when God of Israel said to Moses, I am Yahweh, do you think, that's you think that is supposed to carry with it the connotation of divinity? Of course, he was saying to Moses, I am that I am. No one can be I am that I am except God. And when Jesus says, before Abraham was born, I am, I am like that, what else can he be? No angel can be before that. No angel can be before the creation. In the beginning was the Word. That's what John started the whole book with. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. And to make it so clear, and this is where I love to trip them up in the good way because I want them to humble themselves. Amen? How many know spiritual spankings are good if you humble yourself? Amen? The Bible says he resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. In Genesis 1.18, it says the Lord appeared to Abraham. Oh, but I, I thought it said up here in, in, in John that no one can see the Lord. See, you see how we get them into the contradiction. If they say no one can see the Lord, let's go back here. It says here in John 1.18, no one can ever see God. But then in John 18.1, it says the Lord what? Okay, so they have to resolve that contradiction. How do we resolve it? The Son appeared. The Son appeared, not the Father, because here it says that one and only Son who is God himself is in close relationship with the Father has made him known. Now go to Genesis chapter 19, and I'll show you two persons bearing the name of Yahweh. How many like it when I show you that? I showed this to one person. He said, I, oh, I don't know. I haven't seen that before. Well, you need to pay more attention to this before you pretend like you know something. How many know when someone's humble, you don't mind teaching them? When you're humble, I don't mind teaching you. When you come proud, I'm going to resist you. When you're trying to take away the faith of young believers like you know something or you're a rapper and you're cool, now you have started stuff, we're going to finish stuff. Amen? So we're coming after you. We're not afraid of you. We're coming straight for you. We want to make sure that you get saved too because you lost. You have the wrong Jesus. You don't have a Jesus that can save. You have a created Jesus. A created Jesus cannot do anything. The uncreated Jesus can save all who call upon him, his name because he was from the very beginning. He is the first and he is the last. Amen. We'll show you some of that as well. Amen. So now look at this here with Lot. He's going to escape here before the, the hellfire comes down. And now look at what happens here. The Lord is going to, you remember in Genesis 18, he goes to visit uh, Abraham, and then he wants to go visit Sodom and Gomorrah to see if it's as bad as it is, and Abraham intercedes with the Lord. Now, notice right here when he sees that it is as bad as he thought it was because they tried to rape his angels. Look at now what it says here. It says that the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he stood before who? Before the Lord. So who did Abraham meet with? He met with the Lord, which is known as the Son or Jesus, right? Okay, now let's go here to the part where I, right before I'm trying to find it where before they have the incest, the Lord rained down fire and brimstone from the Lord. Give me the verse, somebody. I just want to, sometimes I can't remember right off top. I want to show it to you right here. Anybody have it off top? I'm going to show you the two persons named as Yahweh here. And the Lord rained down fire and brimstone from the Lord. There we go. Verse 24. Aren't you glad there's a preacher here that knows where the verse is? <laughs> Got a little hot up here. 
Now read it with me, class, please, on the count of three, starting with then. One, two, three. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of heaven. What you talking about, son? I can explain that. Can you explain that? I can explain the Father, Lord in heaven, saying, are you ready, son, Lord, for me to send it on down? Some of y'all didn't even know that was in the scripture. I didn't write it in there. Go back and check your Bibles. But uh, hold on. I thought in Deuteronomy 6, 4, it said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one. Yes, we don't believe in multiple lords, but we believe in multiple persons sharing the name of Lord. Are you guys listening? You see, the Lord is in heaven as the Father. The Lord is on earth as the Son, manifesting eternally as two separate persons. And then the Holy Spirit dropped bombs as the Lord. We don't have three lords. We have one Lord. We don't have three persons pretending to be one person. We have them as separate persons sharing one divine name, one divine nature, one divine purpose. Does that help somebody? You getting free? Amen. Now, the next thing that was brought up is that Jesus was tricking people. Like as if Jesus doesn't have a relationship with the Father. Do you think that the Son, who's been in relationship with the Father and Spirit for all of eternity, when he comes to earth, should just accept worship only to himself, ignore his Father, and tell everybody just to talk about him? No, he's been in eternal fellowship with the Father and the Spirit. So what are you going to continually hear him talk about? His Father and what the Spirit's going to do. The Father and what his Spirit's going to do. And what that is going to culminate in is our understanding of the Trinity. When we see the baptism, we see the Father from heaven speaking, the Son being baptized, and the Holy Spirit coming down as a dove. When we see the mountain of transfiguration, we see the Father speaking, the Son being glorified pre his resurrection, and the Holy Spirit as a cloud being there in the presence of himself, the witness of the Lord. Amen? He manifested himself there as he did in the days of the temple. And so is, is Jesus tricking people? No. Listen to how Jesus talks. John 14, 13. Would you read these two verses, please? And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Amen. See, he's using the relationship. He's saying, whatever you ask in my name, that's why we pray in Jesus' name. I don't pray in the name of an angel. I don't pray in the name of a second created being. I pray in the name of Yahweh the Son. Are you listening to me? To pray to anyone else other than God is blasphemy too. And that's where we got to help our Roman Catholic friends. Jesus is clearly saying that in his name we can pray. But that name goes to the Father. And they glorify one another. That is the relationship they have had from eternity. Which brings us into our next point. Going to where he said he couldn't, Jesus couldn't resurrect himself. That just 100% is Bible ignorance. We'll do a Bible study with you. Jesus said destroy this temple now rise it again in three days. They replied it has taken 46 years to build this temple. How are you going to rise it again in three days? But the temple he spoke of was what? Of his body. Of course he can raise himself from the dead. And please read John 10, 17 through 18. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. Whoop, there it is. 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 Come on. Verse 18, sir. 
Come on. You ain't never had a Bible apologetic class like this before, have you? It's no. too much. It's too much. Yeah, Help him, Lord. It's my first time. Help him, Jesus. First class. First class. Yeah, yeah. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and, right. and authority to take it up again. This See. command I receive from my Father. Amen. See, he has the authority. And then when people say, oh, but, you know, it says, it says here in Matthew 28, going back to that scripture, that all authority was given to him. Uh, once this ball stops spinning, please go to Matthew chapter 28. Why does he have the authority given to him by his father? The hierarchy or the economic trinity, as we call it, is the authority that the father has over the son and the spirit. And the son and the father have, a spirit, have authority over the spirit. Just like I may have authority over my wife, and I and my wife may have authority over our children, but how many know we're all still humans in the family. The Father and Son and Spirit may have different authority, but how many know they still share equally the nature of God? Does a police officer having authority over you change their nature? No, but why does Jesus always talk about these things coming from the Father, that he can't do anything without the Father, that he will need to be given this command by the Father? It's because he came in the flesh to become the second Adam that we started with in 1 Corinthians so there could be a resurrection and there could be a redemption of the flesh of humanity, a new humanity. Jesus didn't need authority as long as he was in heaven. He only needed when he took on flesh as us, as a man. Mankind needed authority because we had lost it. That's why when the devil came to him and he said, if you bow down to me, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. He didn't say you were a liar. He didn't say he was a liar when he talked about who had the kingdoms of the world at that time. Even Paul said he's the God. He is the false God of this world, is he not? But Jesus got the authority back as a man because to his man it was given and man needed it back. And so as the God man, he got what we lost according to his father. What don't you understand? Come on, somebody. They try to twist it up like it's all complicated. He says it to you clearly. Let's be honest. If they weren't blinded by heresy, they would get it. Because how many of y'all get it? I mean, I'm not saying we're smarter than anybody else, but how many get how he has authority, how he uses authority, how he's not the Father, but him and the Father share the same nature, the same name. I mean, you go through the scriptures with them, and now it's up to them to whether or not they listen. Amen? Going to our last ones. Are you guys still having some fun? We're learning things today. Amen. And that's why I just hit on this point about Jesus can't be God because he was given authority. Now let's go to Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11 to wipe this whole thing out once and for all. Because you, you might hear them say, well, Joe, that's, that's good philosophy that you came up with. But that's not what the scripture says. No, my philosophy comes from the scriptures. I believe in the beginning was the logic. Word is logic. He is the way, the truth. He is the aletheia. There is no truth without the person of Jesus Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Are you listening? I am presuppositional in all my approaches of apologetics, presupposing that it's God, the word, the logic, the truth, that gives me the ability to have logic and truth. And to, and to love wisdom, philosia, Sophia, philio, to love Sophia, wisdom. So let's understand it. It's not that we're making it up as we go along. Paul took the time to draw it out. Philippians 2, 5 through 11, man of God. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who being in, in very nature, in very nature, who being in very nature God. Amen. Lord, loose his tongue. We're going to have you say that again. 
Say that again. That's the, that's the main point right there, man of God. That's the main point. Read verse 6 like you're preaching with me right now, please. Who being in very nature God. Come on, in what nature? God. In what nature? God. Okay, so that should settle the equation or the question about who he is. Amen. He is God. Okay, who being in very nature? God. Amen. Keep going, sir. Did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Come on. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Amen. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the Woo, earth, and every on. tongue acknowledge that Christ, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory, to glory of, God, of the God the Father. Come on, somebody, say amen. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. And did we not just read in Joel chapter 2 that the one we're bowing before, that the one we're confessing as Lord is Yahweh? This is the very scripture that Paul loves to quote. As a matter of fact, Paul quotes this scripture in Romans chapter 10. Paul quotes this scripture in 1 Corinthians. And he also quotes it right here, that Jesus Christ is Lord, not like a landlord, but Jesus Christ is the Lord, the God of heaven and earth. Amen. Go to Joel chapter 2 verse 32. I can't find it there again. But how many know Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we don't bow down to anyone but God and confess them as Lord. So, I mean, just think about it. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Come on. So how many lords am I calling on? Oh, you get to call on Yahweh as the Father because he alone is God. But then you also get to call on some created being called Jesus. And you get to call him Lord as well. And then you're also saved. To any Jewish person, that is blasphemy. And so they try to say to us, well, why don't Jews understand the Trinity? Why didn't Jews understand the virgin birth? Why didn't Jews understand a whole bunch of things? They crucified the Lord and Savior. So understanding things from their point of view is only going to lead you to folly. Come to the scriptures and listen to the prophets, and you'll hear exactly what they're saying. Every scripture is pointing back to Jesus Christ as Lord. In the scripture of Isaiah, every knee will bow before me. Uh, go to Isaiah chapter 41, I believe. It's every knee will bow. Uh, Jared can help me here as well. Jared, every knee will bow. Where's Jared at? I want them to see that every knee will bow. How many believe every knee is going to bow before Jesus? Where is Jared at, by the way? Okay, Jared, get that scripture for me. Every knee will bow. I believe it's Isaiah somewhere in the 40s. Hallelujah. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 23. Thank you, man of God. I might get you on the panel here. You got my back? You got my back, Jared? You're not scared, are you? Because they're going to come after me now, aren't they, Bevy? You got me online? <laughs> hey, Bev, we've been waiting for you. By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity, a word that not, will not be revoked. Before who? Me. Every knee will bow. By me, every tongue will swear. They will say of me, in the Lord alone, our deliverance and strength. In the Lord alone. In Yahweh alone. So the day, come on, Jesus is Lord. The day we're bowing down, we're not bowing down to anyone other than Yahweh. 
Yahweh the Father, Yahweh the Son, Yahweh the Holy Spirit. And a lot of times they say, show me the Trinity in the, in the book of Revelation. I go, wonderful. I'd love to do a Bible study with you on Revelation. Go to Revelation chapter 22, verse 1. Remember, there is one name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Everybody remember that? Look at the throne. There are not thrones when it comes to God. Then the angel showed me the river of life, Holy Spirit, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Is it singular or plural when it says throne right here? Singular. The Father and Son and the water of life share the same throne down the middle of the great street of that city. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I can show you the Trinity a hundred more different times. But just as they share the name, they share the throne. The Son sits on the Father's throne as the Holy Spirit flows from it. And through Jesus Christ, we get to sit with Him and have unity and be in Him. But we are never of their same nature. We are always their creation, showing forth their nature to the glory of God alone. Amen? Oh, praise God, somebody. So this idea that they want to say, well... You know, well, Jesus didn't call himself God. That's bogus as well because we've already gone through this. And I want you to see this in this part of the notes as well. Look at all the things the Son does as God. He's called God. He, he acts as creator because he is a creator. He resurrects. He indwells. He's everywhere. He's all-knowing. He sanctifies. He's life-giver. He has the fellowship eternally with us. He's an eternal being. He has a will that speaks and loves and searches our hearts. And only God alone can do those things. Every time, listen. Every time Jesus says things like, I came from, I came from talking about where he came from. He's talking about his pre-existence with the Father. And then whenever he says, I'm with you always until the end of the age, or I'll never leave you or forsake you, he's talking about his ability to hear every prayer, to be with you ever present, and to have the power to answer everything that he's going to do according to his will through your prayers. Amen? And so just to end it on a high note, how many are high already on the Holy Ghost? Amen? Let's combine these two together, uh, seven and eight here. In closing, here we see that uh, number seven that they're talking about. Uh, Jesus is one with the Father as disciples are one with the Father and Son, so this would mean humans are in the Trinity. Once again, that's bogus. You don't even know how to read. Come on, somebody say read. Brother, just read John 10, 29 through 30. And then, you know what, we won't read all 26 verses. I'll scroll you down to where we can read down here. But just read the first part, and then I'll let people decide whether or not we as disciples are being said in the same way to be one with the Father as Jesus and the Father are one. So read uh, 29 and 30 of chapter 10, please. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Okay, so everybody get that? Him and the Father are one. Now I got all 26 verses here. You show me one place here when I and Jesus are one in nature or it says I and the Father are one. Show me anywhere here. None of it. I will show you right here where it says that we are one. Notice the highlights. Please just, uh, if you might be better to look up here because uh, you, well, you got it on the notes as well? Yeah, I got it on my phone. Okay. Look from there, yeah, just go from here. So that they may be one as we, we are, are one. one. Okay, does it say that they may be one with us in the same way I'm one with you? No, no, no. That they, us here, who are many persons sharing one human nature, may be one in the church of Jesus Christ. Not many races, one race, and not many kind, but one kind, God's kind of people. We are a chosen people. Amen? So read it again. And if you think I missed one, go ahead and look for it. But I got it all highlighted. Verse 21 now. You said 21? Yes, sir. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me 
and I am in you. Okay, so does it say there that I'm one with the Father? No, does it say that Jesus is one with me in that way? No, it says once again that all of them may be one. Keep going to the highlighted part starting with the word that in verse 22. That they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Wow. Do you know how to read? Come on, somebody. How many know how to read? Has it ever said what we just read up here? What it read up here was quite clear. I and the Father are one. What does it keep saying here? That they may be one. That they may be one. That they may be one. And that they may be in unity. So that's the scripture, and they took it out of context. And then lastly, Jesus never calls himself God, and this is where I just love to blow it up on him. I love to say, who do you think's talking in the Old Testament? Who do you think's talking? Who is the word of the Lord? Is the word of the Lord this showing up to Isaiah, a Bible with wings? And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. What do you think's coming to Jeremiah? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is coming to these people. That's why we saw in Genesis chapter 18 that the Lord appeared unto Abraham. And then the Lord rained down fire and brimstone from heaven from the Lord on earth. That we hear from the scriptures over and over and over again. Who did Jacob wrestle with? The Lord Jesus. Who did Moses see in the burning bush? The Lord Jesus. Who is the angel of the Lord? Which just means messenger, not created messenger. But it just means the one bringing the message. Who is the messenger that goes before the people of Israel? Whose name is Yahweh? and bears the name of God and strikes down the enemies of God. That is Jesus. And so they get twisted up whenever it says angel of the Lord or messenger of the Lord or the Lord appeared. They try to say that this this means an angel came and then God puppeteers through him. But the Bible says that they saw the Lord. Remember when we went back here, it says Abraham met with the Lord. And let me just show you one off notes. Can I go off notes real quick? Go to Exodus chapter 33, please. Moses met with the Lord. You remember this one. Moses would meet with the Lord all the time, talk to him face to face ever since the burning bush. Now look, Moses wants to see the voice of the Father because you remember both at the baptism and at the mountain of transfiguration, there could be Father, Son, and Spirit appearing. But every time that the Father appears, rather, he's really just speaking. His voice is appearing, but not him in an image. Only Daniel saw him in a dream, but not in the actual realities. Everybody with me? Only the Father has shown as an actual being in the vision that Daniel saw. But every time people are interacting with Father, Son, and Spirit, all that man Manifest from the Father is what? His voice. Now notice this. It says in verse 11 of chapter 33, the Lord would speak with Moses, what? Face to face. Okay, let's just go through this slow. You have a face. Did the Lord have a face? Well, if you're going to speak to him face to face, what must he have? Okay, so Moses would speak to who? The Lord, or the Lord, let's put it in the right context. So the Lord would speak to Moses how? Face to face. Okay, that's how they would speak to one another as one speaks to a friend. But then now notice here in chapter 33, verse 12 and onward, Moses now wants to meet with the one that he hears also speaking, the one that he is not seeing face to face. Are you guys with me? 
So then he says to him, he says, show me your glory. Same chapter, same author. We're not making this up. Look at verse 19. The Lord said, listen, I'm going to let my goodness pass before in front of you. I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one can see my face and live. Let's just back this thing up. Somebody say back it up. Back that thing up. But hold on. In the same chapter, it says he's talking to him face to face. My friend, if you don't have two persons in the triune nature of God, you got the Bible contradicting itself. If you don't have two persons at Sodom and Gomorrah, the Bible's contradicting itself. If you don't have two persons or the Holy Spirit has three at the baptism or at the mountain of transfiguration or in Revelation chapter 2 or in Matthew chapter 28 in the baptism, you've got the Bible twisting itself in knots. Now to save your sorry argument, are you going to now make the Bible contradict itself? Or are you just going to lose your sorry argument? Drop that sorry argument and get with the scriptures. The Bible is clear that the one they see is Jesus. The one they don't see is the Father. Now, do you remember in John when the disciples said, show us the Father, and what did Jesus say? If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. That's been their relationship all along. That's been their relationship from day one. If you've seen Jesus, who have you seen? The Father, you've seen the very nature of the Father. Now, can an angel say that? Go back to John 1.18, please. Can an angel say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? Can a created being, a prophet, say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? No, but if you're looking at Jesus, you can say you've seen the Father in his nature. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. He has made him known. Now going back to the Old Testament, this is what the Lord says, Yahweh, Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty, I am the first and the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Now what does Jesus call himself in the book of Revelation? First and the last. Come on, go to, yeah, but go to Revelation chapter 1. We'll use the first and last. Alpha and Omega as well. But look at the terms because it's in Isaiah, specifically first and last. Look at what Jesus says about himself. This is the Jesus that's resurrected. And I love this because people go, well, how do we know for sure it's Jesus talking in the book of Revelation? Because sometimes it's either the Father, the Spirit, or the Son. And that is true that we do get, as a a theologian, sometimes some question marks there. But this is how we know it's Jesus. Because this is why we put it in red as well. Watch. Do not be afraid, chapter 1, verse 17. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now, look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold, come on, the keys of death and hell. So when we hear Isaiah quoting from the Lord, and he says, I am the Lord Almighty. I am the first and the last. Apart from me, there is no God. What do you think Jesus is talking about? Jesus is saying, I'm the same one talking to Isaiah. And if you don't believe me, go ask John, because John knows Isaiah saw me. And if you don't believe me, ask John again, because I was there before Abraham was. I am, ego with me, the self-existing one. Same thing, Isaiah chapter 45, 23, because who we think is talking? Jesus, turn to me and be saved. All of you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn. My mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. We read this before from Philippians 2. Before me, somebody say before Jesus, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will swear. They will say of me in the Lord alone is deliverance and strength. And all who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. 
And I have a couple other ones here, John 13, one, uh, 13, 19. I'm telling you now before it happens so you will know that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Jesus literally told the future, and he said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why? Because in Isaiah 43, 10, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob can call the future in the present. He knows things before they happen. And as I said before in Hebrews, Jesus is called God by the Father because oftentimes they say, well, Jesus is always calling the Father God. When does the Father ever call him God? About the Son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. Amen? Would you stand up with me today? Would you stand up? We're going to pray, and then we'll make time to take questions at the end of our prayer. But I do want to take time and strike while the iron's hot. Well, I sense the Holy Spirit here moving on behalf of the Father and Son. Thank, thank you. Can we give it up for Brother Jordan, please? Thank you. Band and altar workers, would you come? Because all of this is really uh, not able to transform you unless you believe and receive Jesus as Lord. Simply knowing the right doctrine, and that's just what we went through, simply knowing the right doctrine is not what saves you. It's believing and trusting in Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so today I do want to take a few moments to pray for Brandon and Bryson because I want to see them repent. Let's just even start right now. Father, we lift them up to you. We pray for Brandon and Bryson to repent of this false doctrine, this foolishness. We pray that they will come back to the scriptures and see the truth about what it teaches. We pray, O oh Father, in the name of Jesus, you would also save and bring out of these cults like Jehovah Witnesses, like Mormons, like Oneness Pentecostals, Lord, even Muslims, that you would bring people out of these cults that have a wrong Jesus and bring them, Father, to the real Jesus. We pray for them. We are not angry with them to the point that we wish their condemnation. We have a holy anger, Father, that we wish not to sin in, but a holy, righteous love for them as well to see them saved. So pray for them now, saints. Father, we pray for those who have been deceived by any of these religions to come to Christ, the Christ of the Bible, the Jesus of the Bible who is equal with the Father and the Spirit who he alone died on the cross for our sins to rise again. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Just a few more moments. A few more moments. We love you, Brandon. We love you, Bryson. We pray for you to repent in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I would like to encourage everyone here from, from Hebrews, if you're not saved today, to be saved. Because as we're talking about the Trinity, we want you to experience the Trinity, to have a relationship with the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And here's a beautiful way to understand the family of God. And if I could just get your attention, if you're praying, please keep praying. But especially those who are new to this, I just want to, you know, connect. The Father has the authority and wills the things that the Son and the Spirit do. And then the Father and Son unite to send forth the Spirit to create, as we see in the beginning, 
to empower, as we see throughout the Bible, and to restore, as we see in being born again and at the book of Revelation. The Spirit is there doing all of that. Father, Son, Spirit. But when the Son came to die on the cross, that's where people get confused because they say, how could God become man and still be God? But what they don't understand is that by taking on another nature, you have not lost your original nature. If I go and act in a cartoon as a cartoon animal or whatever, does that stop me from being who I'm already in? A man. A man being also a cartoon in this CGI world. And yes, that's limited because I'm not God. I don't retain two natures simultaneously. But is that against God's nature? Is it contradictory? No. Out of love, this is what the Bible says. Get it and understand, especially if you have not experienced the Trinity in a relationship with Jesus. Hebrews 2.14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. And how many know COVID brought out the fear of death in a lot of people's lives? Let's be honest. And now look at verse 16. This is how I know he's not an angel or another created being because it says in verse 16, for surely it is not angels he helps. Angels already have been condemned and the lake of fire is prepared, prepared for them and there's no way out. See, it's not angels he helps, but it's Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. So when we say God died for me, what we don't mean is that God stopped being God and no one knew what to do in heaven. What we mean is Jesus, God in the flesh, allowed his body to die for me. Jesus, the Son of God, died for us so that as he rose from the dead, we could have a resurrection and that we could be like him and with him and forever be in fellowship with him and the Father and the Spirit. Amen? So let's pray now for those in this room. If there's anything in your relationship with the Father, Son, and Spirit that is not right, would you call on Jesus to forgive you today? And then in just a few moments, I'm going to release you to come up because maybe you have some sin and you're dealing with it and Jesus wants to forgive you and you're going to want to come up. And trust me, these prayer workers are not here to try to be over you in any way. They just want to pray with you to the Father in Jesus' name by the power of the Spirit so you don't have to leave out here the same way you came. But I'm going to pray for you first, Father. Old or young, male or female, whoever they are, wherever they came from, if they don't know forgiveness, if they don't know forgiveness and freedom today, may they know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. May they know Jesus as their God, as their deliverer. Satan, we command you to loose them and let them go. You have no authority over them. You cannot have them. You may be a false god of this world, but the God of heaven and earth has defeated you and has power over you. And we call upon his name for their deliverance. 
in Jesus' name. And so as we begin to worship, if you came here, do not be embarrassed because this is a conference for you to be encouraged. If you came here with any doubt of your salvation or you've never been saved or maybe you've once been saved but you're not living saved, would you come and pray with us to dedicate your life to Jesus Christ? As we begin to worship, feel free to come forward even now. Thank you, band. Would you lead us in worship? And then we'll